Good job on the drums, Josh. Swear to bang those skins, man. <laughs> to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Um, so you guys know what Psalm 51 is about. Uh, if you know a little bit about your Bible, you know what this is about. Um, the man who wrote Psalm 51 was chosen by God. He was a self-confessed lover of God. He was a genuine and true follower of God. In fact, this man was zealous for God. He passionately worshipped God. He had a courageous faith in God. He did mighty deeds in the name of God. He was a beloved leader of God's people. He was used of God to actually write Scripture. He was in the lineage of Messiah. And he was a murderer and an adulterer. Now, if you're not conversant in Bible, this might be shocking to you. Um, it is somewhat shocking to some of us, or at least confusing. Confusing. How, how could a man like this ever end up in a place like that? How could that ever possibly happen? A man who's used of God, chosen of God to be king of Israel, and used of God to actually write Scripture. How could a man fall that far? How is it, how is it possible? Well, some of you know exactly how possible that is. I never forget, uh, I mentioned him on occasion, I had a spiritual mentor, loved him, taught me a lot of stuff. <clears throat> he was about 53 years old when we had this conversation, and he'd been in ministry for 25 years or so, maybe 30. He started quite young, and he was talking about the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that he employs in his life. And I, I was obviously learning, I was a, I was a, you know, young boy trying to learn some things from a wise man. <clears throat> and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Jim, I have to stay on the disciplines because I could fall. And I was shocked. And I was saying, how could you fall? You're, you're a preacher. You know? how, how could you fall like this? How would it ever be possible that you could fall into grievous sin? And then he told me a story about his dad. His dad was a preacher, right? His dad had been a preacher for 30-something years. And believe it or not, his dad left his, his wife, my, uh, he left his wife, my friend's mother, for the church secretary, and they left and got married. He divorced his wife and married the church secretary. I got to hear this man give a testimony. Okay, my spiritual mentor's father, who did this, he came one time and I, I got to listen to him speak. And this is what he said. He said, um, I got lazy in my Christianity. He's a pastor now, okay? <laughs> you know, a pastor can go through the motions just like anybody else, okay? I know sometimes we put pastors up much higher than they should be. Yes, we're to respect pastors, but... We are fallen flesh just like everyone else. This man said, you know, I tried to live on yesterday's manna. I tried to live on yesterday's high. I stopped really seeking God on a daily basis. I, I, I just thought, well, I knew the Gospel. I knew enough. I knew a lot of theology. I, I'll be okay. 
He said he stopped writing new sermons. He stopped working hard at his job. He started flirting around with a little bit of sin. Just a little flirting, right? A little flirting's not going to hurt anybody, right? It's harmless. Just a little bit of sin. He talked about the slow, insidious, slippery downward spiral into sin and he knew it could never happen to him and it did and it did just like it happened to David. So I want to say to you <laughs> okay <clears throat> it's it's arrogant, it's foolish and a little bit more than a little bit stupid to think you can't fall. To think that you can't fall into sin that you would never expect you could fall into. Something that is so far from your thought process right now that you could never imagine you could do it. Beloved, you know why? Because what Jeremiah said about the human heart is true. It is desperately sick and wicked. Who can understand it? Even the regenerate heart is capable of gross sin. You know the the old adage, <clears throat> sin does not leap upon us. What does it do? It Who said that? It creeps upon us. Okay, we got a Nigerian and a Ghanaian just <laughs> slamming it out of the park here. It doesn't leap upon us. It creeps upon us. It's when you start to be undisciplined in your spirituality, in your Christianity. I know a lot of stuff. Man, I've been in the church all my life. I was baptized when I was eight. I prayed the prayer. I go to Sunday school and church almost all the time. I'm a good person. What we hear in, in the confession tonight from David is, no, he, no, you're not a good person. David's not a good person. I'm not a good person at the core, lest God hold me. So, I want to start this way. Let's not be foolish. Let's not be deceived. <laughs> you can't pet the tiger. You know? How many men have I talked to engrossed in pornography <clears throat> who thought they could just flirt with it? And now they tell me they're hooked on it. Of course, <clears throat> I love Piper's comment on that. Well, uh, if they had a knife to your throat, you wouldn't click the button, would you? If someone had a knife to your throat, you wouldn't go there. Um, I understand there's some brain issues involved. But, yeah, gross sin lies at the end of a long pathway where we've made a conscious decision to go. Gross sin. Premeditated sin. Sin you know is wrong. We're not talking about constitutional sin here that wells up in our hearts sometime, unbidden, right? We're talking about sin we know is wrong. So every day you leave off consciously pursuing God, you are one day closer to gross sin, flagrant sin, as we know in David's case. Last week in Psalm 1, we saw one of the primary weapons for, or one of the disciplines we need to employ to not 
go down that slippery slope into flagrant sin. Does anybody remember what it was? Psalm 1. It was the Word of God. <laughs> Listen, if you're not looking at God in the Word of God, you're going to be looking at the world through some medium. I don't Whatever medium you like. You're either going to be looking at the world <clears throat> or you're going to be looking at God And I think we all know that we urgently need to be looking at God. As I said earlier, to be listen, when you're in the Word of God, God speaks and God changes you as you look at Him. Listen, if you're not in awe of the biblical God, you haven't met Him yet. If you're not a little bit afraid to sin greatly, I, you know, there's a huge problem here. You're not looking at the biblical God. You're looking at some pseudo-God or you're listening to the media. Just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Men trembled in the presence of God. So David, David thought it could never happen to him. He left off his daily spiritual disciplines. He wasn't really pursuing God anymore. He wasn't looking at God. He was looking around, right? <laughs> if you're not looking at God, you are looking around. You know, God made you to delight in Him. And this is the ultimate essence of, of sin. You're, de- you're trying to find your delight in something else. This is David's grossest sin. It's not simply that he committed murder and adultery. Those are symptoms of the fact he was no longer delighting in the person of God. This is the essence of sin. I think I'm going to find more pleasure. David thought he would find more pleasure in Bathsheba. In that moment, he thought he would find more pleasure in Bathsheba than he would find in communion with God. So what you have with David and with countless others A rationalization here, a harmless glance there, an indulged thought here, and then the inquiry. Then the inquiry. Let me just say this, and we'll take a little look at the backstory here of Psalm 51. You know this if you're biblically literate, you've been around very long. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. You can't pet the tiger. At some point, he's going to take your arm off if not your life. It will always take you further than you want to go. It will always cost you more than you can pay. It's just the reality. And we'll see it in David's life. Let me just give you this definition of of sin. You know who it's from. My favorite theologian, John Piper, American preacher. He defines sin like this. Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value and beauty of God for some temporal, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. And I love this part. It is an insult to God. Your sin is an insult to God. My sin is an insult to God. I know sometimes we tend to think that my sin, well, it's against my spouse or my boss or my friend or just me The Bible is clear. Your sin is against God. It is an insult to Him. It is an insult to God. It's saying, I think I'm going to find more pleasure in this. It's it's Genesis chapter 3. Satan's lie. Never had to change his lie. I think I'm going to find more pleasure in this than I actually find in 
being in relationship with and in fellowship with God. King David wanted Bathsheba more. This is an insult. King David thought Bathsheba would bring him more pleasure than God. This is an insult. King David exchanged intimacy with God for intimacy with Bathsheba. This is an insult to God. I want you to understand this. David didn't just simply violate his, his vows to, in marriage and violate Uriah and Bathsheba. He was violating God. This is how you and I must look at sin if we're to rightly understand it and, and be able to deal with it in our lives. It's a violation against God. As I tell you all the time, it's personal. I know we tend to think it's not personal. It is personal. It's very personal. You're going to hear it in just a moment. You remember when Nathan comes to David, he said, you're the man, right? You're the one. You know, he tells him the story about the ewe lamb and the rich man took the, the poor man's ewe lamb. It was the only one he had. And, and he took it and he served it to his friends. And David was outraged. He said, surely this man deserves to die, right? <laughs> surely he deserves to die. And what did Nathan say? Not an easy thing to do to the king. What did Nathan say? You're the man. And then the prophet said to David, Right? The prophet said to David, these are the words of God. God is speaking through the prophet. He says, why have you despised me? Why have you despised my word? Why have you despised me? Beloved, it's always personal. It's always a violation of God. So we know the story. Just briefly, David's looking around where he shouldn't be looking. He's looking at another man's wife. He's seeing what he shouldn't be seeing. He's seeing a beautiful woman bathing. He's inquiring about a woman he should not be inquiring about. And he took her and he committed adultery with her. And I, I, I think I, I, heard a, a, I heard John MacArthur preaching on this text and I think he's right. I don't think Bathsheba's innocent here either. I think she obviously knew what could be seen from the palace from her venue. So she's pregnant. David brings Uriah, who's on the battlefield defending the kingdom and the king. Brings Uriah home. Says, go spend time with your wife. <laughs> he won't do it. He's, he's too honorable of a man. He won't go do it. He says, my, my comrades are in the field. I'll not do that. I'll not go be with my wife. So David tries to get him drunk. And he gets him drunk and he still won't go and be with his wife. So you know the story. David sends Uriah back with his own death warrant to Joab, the commander, and he says, put Uriah in the front. Uriah is inevitably killed. David takes Bathsheba as his wife to try to cover the sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sin will take you further than you want to go. Because the first sin is always when, you, when you're trying to hide it, the first sin is complicated by the second, and it's complicated by the third, complicated by the fourth, blah, blah, blah. This is just a biblical reality that we see here. So Nathan says, you are the man. And I love it. The text says David was outraged. And he had done the very same thing. Thing. His own heart convicted him. 
of the sin he had committed. So, this is the backstory of Psalm 51. I don't know what kind of Bible you have, but um, this is the heading of, of Psalm 51 in my Bible. It says, This is a song of the choir director, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know, we don't, we don't often know this with, with psalms, but we know in this psalm the, the scenario or the situation in which it was written. I like what John Piper says about this psalm. He says, This is how a Christian is crushed with guilt well. Okay? <laughs> you know, being a Christian doesn't mean I'll never have guilt. It means I know how to deal with it. It means I know what to do with it. Right? If, if I'm born again, I realize I sin constitutionally all day long. So, this is how a Christian is crushed well. He says, I love that. So this is how a true lover of God handles guilt, shame, how he does true confession, contrition, and repentance. Psalm 51 is how all true believers confess their sin. There's a sorrow, there's remorse, there's regret, there's repentance, and then there's something else I want you to see here. If you're familiar with Psalm 51, you know what it is. Three times David will mention the word joy. Why would he mention joy? Just think about it. He's come to God to confess his sin, a holy God. And David knows, you're going to see it in the text, he should just be, he should just be condemned. Well, of course, it, he was guilty of, of capital offenses here. He should be um, sentenced and put to death. But we know that Nathan told him that God has removed your sin. So who knows the answer? Who knows the answer? David knows his God is a Savior. He is guilty of gross, flagrant, heinous, grievous sin. And he comes and he pours out his guilt and his shame and his confession before God. And then joy starts to bleed in. Joy starts to bleed in because he knows his God is a God of loving kindness. A God who saves. And so, you'll see the word joy three times. This is a, this is a, a very important component of confession for the Christian. Being brutally honest before God, owning our guilt, and looking forward to the, the, the forgiveness that's coming. Right? The grace that will pour down upon us like rain. So, verse 1, Be gracious to me, David says, O God, according to Your loving kindness, according to the greatness of Your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Do you see David's uh, what he's appealing to at the outset? He's appealing to who God is. This is how we confess, beloved. <laughs> okay? This is a beautiful picture for us. This is a learning moment for us. He comes confessing that God is gracious and loving and, and full of loving kindness. He's a God of great compassion. He comes confessing his sin. He comes in worship. 
I think this is an important thing to, to remember. He comes to God to confess his sin and he's worshiping God. Right? As he comes for forgiveness, he's proclaiming God the great Savior. The God who has no good reason to save this wretched man or you either. You remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul called himself what? I think it's Romans chapter 8. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? You know, the men who get closest to God understand they are utterly sinful. Listen, it's sin. This is sin. If you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength every nanosecond of your life, if you're... If, if that's not who you are, you're a sinner. Well, we all know we sin, right? Because we should love God this way. We should serve God this way. We should honor God this way. But we find that we often do not. So this murderer and this adulterer, he comes in. He, he comes in worship. He's not looking for priestly medi- uh, mediation. He's not looking for some religious prescription or formula. He cries out to God based on God's loving kindness and compassion, and He says, wash me and cleanse me. This is a confession wrapped in worship. I think it's the best kind. I think it's the the best kind. I, I, I want to implore you to remember this. He comes to confess to His God in worship. Verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know what it's like when you've sinned in a grievous way before God. It's just there till you deal with it. You know, the most unhappy person on the planet is the truly born again man or woman who has sin in their life. They are the most unhappy person on the planet. Now, the sinner doesn't care. It's just it's how I live. The pseudo-Christian who's only playing Uh, religion with God, they don't really care either. The Christian cares a lot. The Christian cares a lot. They're the most miserable person on the planet. David says this, it's in my face all the time. He couldn't wait to get rid of it. He couldn't wait to jettison this burden, right? You guys know, you Christians, you know what I'm talking about. Just as the Bible tells us there's no such thing as an atheist, there's also no, no such thing as a man without an awareness of his own sin. God has given mankind a conscience. That's being with knowledge. We know ourselves enough to know that we are estranged from God. We, we, we know this intuitively. And Scripture confirms it. Man may try to hide his sin, he may try to cover it, he may try to ignore it, but when he looks in the mirror, he knows he's guilty. He knows he is. God wired us that way. Uh, Over in Psalm 31, David talks about the corrosive effect of sin. He says, My eye, my soul, my body waste away from my grief. My life is spent in sorrow. My strength has failed. My body has washed away because of my iniquity is how David says it. You know, right? You know what it's like to call yourself a Christian and you wake up one day and you've left your first love. 
grievous sin didn't leap upon you, it creeped upon you. And then you find yourself in David's predicament. Verse 4, David understands the personal insult of sin. And, and I get it. You know, I, I say this to people and people say, no, it's not. I'm not insulting God. Yes, you are. You are. So just own it. Or don't call yourself a Bible believer. You are insulting God with your sin. It's always this way. It's always personal. It's rebellion against Him. Rebellion against a benevolent God. A good God. <laughs> you know, the fact that you're still walking around is evidence of the fact that He's good. He should have judged you a long time ago. Just like He should have judged me. And I want to look at uh, Eugene Peterson, you know, the guy that wrote the Message Bible. I love the word he uses here in verse 4. In the Message Bible, he uses the word violated. David had violated God. I love this word. I think it's very powerful. It's not the biblical text. It's a paraphrase. It's a paraphrase. But you need, listen, when you're confessing to God, you need to own it. You need to own it. You don't need to offer any excuses. <laughs> he knows the Word before it's on your tongue. So don't be lying to Him. And don't be, you know, justifying yourself before Him because you cannot do it. Just own it. And receive the grace and mercy that comes from this great God. Some people say, no, I'm not violating God. Well, I'll just say this. If you don't think your sin is against God, you don't know anything about the Bible. <laughs> you don't know anything about the Gospel. You don't know anything about the cross. Why do you think Jesus is bleeding out? Because sin's no big deal? You have violated God. You have insulted God. That's why He's bleeding out. You've got to love this about David. You know, when Nathan confronted him, he was like he was spring-loaded, man. He was like, bam! Yes! He was ready to confess. He needed to get rid of this burden. And the beautiful thing here, David doesn't, you know, David vindicates God. He doesn't try to vindicate himself. I love this. He says, you are the blameless judge. You're blameless. If you sent me to hell now, you would be right. You are blameless in your judgments. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So, if we know our Bible, if we're literate here, we understand what David is saying. This is not an accusation against his mother. He's saying, I am a sinner from the beginning. Yes, you have to teach people Romans chapter 5. You fell in Adam. I fell in Adam. People don't like the doctrine of original sin. I don't like that I, it, the Bible says I fell in Adam. Well, <clears throat> I get this a lot. So what I always say is, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever sinned against God? The definition being, I've loved something or pursued something or desired something more than God. You know? Have you ever done that? 
Have you ever put something on the planet above God? Have you ever done that? Then, hey, if you don't want to uh, submit to the doctrine of original sin, then okay, but you're a sinner and you know you're a sinner and you need a Savior, right? You need a Savior. But David is clear here. It's not about his, his legitimacy or illegitimacy. He's talking about he was a sinner from the beginning. Right? We can see it in our children, can we not? What's wrong with these people who want to tell us that children are innocent? It doesn't take very long for us to understand they're not innocent. Because they will take advantage of every possible advantage. So, we see early on, parents see early on, this rebellion and desire not to submit to the, the authority of the parent. It's just, it's universal, it's there. It's part of human nature. You guys know the text. <laughs> we are all dead in sins. By our fallen nature, we are children of wrath. There, there's this fallen nature in man. And I'm not going to develop it any further. But you need to understand that. And that's clearly what David is talking about here. Verses 6 through 9. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make, the, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make, make me to hear joy. There's the first occurrence. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. This is just a figure of speech that, that highlights the, the burden of guilt he's feeling. Verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David says, In the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. I think this is a clear allusion to the fact that he is... We'll use a New Testament term for an Old Testament man of God. He, he's born again. He's in, he's in a real relationship with, with God. It's an inside-out thing with David, right? And I'll just stop and ask you, if it's not an inside-out thing with God for you, then it's not biblical Christianity. Religion is, is uh, outside-in. Christianity is inside-out, right? So this is what... I think, in part, what is being said. David says to God, you must purify me. You must wash me. I can't do this by myself. Religion won't get it done for me. Now, there are billions of people on the planet playing, you know, religion, false religion. Then there, there's, a, there's another hundreds of millions of people playing pseudo-Christianity. And they think, you know, well, I'll go do what my denomination says I'm supposed to do and it's over. It's not over till you get sorted out with God. It's personal. It is personal, beloved. If you don't understand anything else about sin when you walk out today, I want you to understand it's personal. I want you to understand that you have done violence to God. Look at the cross and understand how heinous sin is to God. And then... I dare you to be cavalier about it. I dare you to be cavalier. David is saying, make me 
whiter than snow. You guys, I'm going to give you some verses here if you want them. Email me. I'll send them to you. I'm not going to give you the text, but I'm just going to repeat the, 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 the sentiments. Though our sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. For God has cast all our sins behind His back. I will wipe out your transgressions and remember them no more. I will tread your iniquities underfoot and cast them into the depths of the sea. I will remember their sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, God says, I will remove your sin from you. This is what Jesus did on the cross for all those who repent and believe. In verse 8, did you notice the first reference of joy? Joy is always the root and fruit of true Christianity. I looked it up the other day. Joy and rejoicing appears 400 times in the Bible. It's the signature of a man or woman, a sinful man or woman, coming into relationship with God. Verses 10-13 to Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Your presence. and Do not take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy, there it is again, of Your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors Your ways and sinners will be converted to You. I love this. David is not just looking for forgiveness. He's looking for renewal. This is not just wipe the slate clean, right? That's not what it is. He's looking for renewal. He doesn't want to just be forgiven. He wants to be changed. He wants to be changed by God. That's what he wants. Yes, forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. But what I really want is to be changed. I want to be a man of God. You know, I've been meeting with a couple of men lately, and, and one thing I, I keep telling them, because obviously, at my age, um, at my age, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. It doesn't do any good to start well and not finish. Christianity is all about finishing. It's all about finishing. What's the word that's used in. Revelation many, many times. Overcoming. The true believer always overcomes. Doesn't mean we don't fall. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. But we will. We will overcome. So God, David is asking God to create holiness where ego and narcissism and vanity reign. He wants to be new. He wants to be clean. He wants to be changed. This Hebrew word translated steadfast, it means, uh, it means to be unwavering, resolute. Don't you want to be this in your Christianity? Listen, unwavering, resolute, persistent, dedicated, loyal, faithful, devoted. Don't you want to be that? Don't you want to be that with God? I think uh, we all do. So David is looking for more than mere pardon. He's looking for deeper relationship. And so, when, you, when you're in confession, this is, your, this is your goal. Yes, forgiveness. And deeper relationship. Change me, Lord. I don't ever want to go down that path again. Change me. Change me. You know, most men, unbelievers, they'll, they'll blame everybody but themselves. This is something a, a, a true Christian will never do. <laughs> we know we're guilty. We know we're guilty. We don't blame anybody else. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not my kids' fault. It's not my boss's fault. It's my fault. This is true confession before God. 
Here in verse 11, this might be confusing to some. We understand biblically that David is not talking about losing his salvation. We understand that in the Old Testament, you remember, right? The Holy Spirit would come on a man for a specific function. And the Holy Spirit had come on David, right? To uh, enable him to be, to be king. And he's saying, don't take it away from me, right? Don't take the Spirit of God from me. We understand as New Testament Christians that if we are saved, we cannot lose our salvation. The Bible does not teach that. If you have any confusion about that, I'm happy to speak with you about it. So, this request here is about His position and about His anointing. That's what is being talked about here. But I couldn't help but think of 2 Peter 1.10. David is doing what Peter directs true believers to do. Listen. Listen to 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and His choosing of you. This is something you're supposed to be working at. You're supposed to be working at, at this. That you can, you know, be in deep relationship with God. Making sure of your, we'll use a, another biblical word, making sure of your election. And as I said before, David says, God, I want the joy of Your salvation. Verse 12, I want the joy of Your salvation. Again, the sex, the murder, the lying, it was all a symptom of the fact that his heart stopped delighting in God moment by moment. This is always the root of sin. And look what he says he'll do with his forgiveness. What will he do with his forgiveness? Somebody tell me from verse 13. What will David do with his forgiveness? What will he do with it? What will He do with His forgiveness? And I'll just ask you, what will you do with your forgiveness? But what does David say he's going to do with his forgiveness? Does anybody see it? I'm going to tell everybody about it! It's in the Bible! People have been reading for a couple of thousand years. Maybe 3,000 now. About David and his sin. Some of you have sin in your life that you're hiding Okay, as your pastor, I lovingly say to you, come clean. Come clean with God and come clean with whomever you need to come clean with. Get it over with! Get it over with! You're, you know, you're in a hole you'll never get out of lest you cry out for God. Be done with it! Put it down! Grow! Move on! Be a man or be a woman of God. Don't be a religious pretender. God's not interested in that. God is not interested in your feigning love and devotion to Him. So David is not content with forgiveness, being clean, uh, having his election made sure, having a right spirit and being only joyful in God. David wants all of this because he's going to tell what a good and faithful and forgiving and loving and merciful and gracious God He has. This is your job in the world. Everybody out there has guilt. If they tell you they don't have guilt, they're lying or their IQ is pretty low. They're just not cognizant of it. Okay? Every man and woman out there has guilt. 
And if a boy or girl has attained any age at all, they have guilt too. You've got good news. <laughs> You've got good news. You have guilt. And I can throw it off to God. Right? I can throw it off to God. All I have to do is talk to my father. I don't have to go talk to the priest. He doesn't have anything interesting for me. I'll talk to God myself. I have a mediator, Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, James talks about confessing your sins to one another. Of course, it's okay to do that, but you can go straight to God through the mediation of Jesus. Verses 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will, here it is, joyfully sing of Your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips that my mouth may declare Your praise. Declaring Your, your praise. Again, this blood guiltiness. This is, David is guilty of a capital offense. He should be put to death. But God has made provision. How does He save David? David's looking forward to Messiah just like you and I are looking back. It's through the shed blood of Christ. David doesn't know all the, the details that you and I know. But David's a man of faith. He just believes God's a Savior. He doesn't really know. He knows there's a Messiah coming. But he doesn't really know how it's all going to work and what it's all going to look like. We do know. He didn't know. He just put his faith in it. It's like Abraham was saved. Abraham was saved by what? Faith. It's always the same. We're also always saved by faith. It's not a religious thing we do. We have faith in a God who is a Savior. David says, I will sing of His righteousness and declare His praise. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's finish. Four, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is not interested in mere outward displays of repentance. He doesn't delight in external religious exhibitions or ceremonial devotion. God's looking for a broken and contrite heart. And if you're a Christian and you have sinned, particularly with premeditation. Um, in a grievous way, you understand exactly what this is about. Because this is how you come to God with a broken and contrite heart. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, he says I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Amen? That's when I can really worship God. When I have no pride left. I know I'm not a righteous man. You know, the Pharisees' problem was their chest was stuck out all the time. They thought they were, you know, they just knew God was proud of them. And they had cool outfits too, you know. Surely God loved them. Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I tell you this all the time. It's all right here. What's going on in the heart? It's either real or it is not So God teaches us what He's interested in is humility. Humility and sorrow and repentance. 
You guys know the parable and I'm done. You know the parable Jesus tells about the Pharisee who, you know, he had his chest out and he was praying to himself. He says, I love it, the text says he was praying to himself. He certainly wasn't praying to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other sorry people. Uh, you know, I fast twice a week and I pay my tithes. But the tax collector standing some distance away, he was even unwilling to lift his hands, pardon me, his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that tax collector went down justified that day. So listen, don't get all bowed up because, you know, you're a religious person. <laughs> Again, if we know our Bibles, we realize that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for the relationship. So, praise the Lord. Psalm 51 is in the Bible. I need it. Right? I need it. You need it. We all need it. We all need Psalm 51. Praise God. It's in the Bible. You never get past needing Psalm 51. And if you don't know that about yourself, then you don't know yourself very well. David says, wash me. And God says, I will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Do you understand why David brings up the word joy three times in his confession? This is how Christians confess. We don't wallow in it. We don't navel gaze. You know, I've had men confess horrible things and say, I can't forgive myself. And I say, well, who do you think you are? You claim to be a Christian, right? Which is always a question. You know, I can't see anybody's heart, but I say, you claim to be a Christian? Well, who do you think you are? Jesus Christ paid the price. If you, in fact, are a Christian, if you've believed on Him and you've trusted Him. So, this is a big deal. I should preach this every year. I think, <laughs> for, for my own good, if not for yours. Beloved, there's always sin in our lives and there are always consequences. I want to just very briefly share something with you that I shared with the young adults uh, this two weeks ago, I think it was. We're studying through First John. You know, John just keeps hitting the sin thing. And I'm just going to tell you, this is the, some of the best advice I've ever uh, received about how to deal with daily sin and uh, patterns of sin and habits of sin. First, a quote from Piper. He says, It is both relief and heartache to know that all true believers have sin remaining in their lives. Amen? This does not mean we should be complacent with it. It means that we must fight it every day. We are commanded to constantly kill the sin that remains in our lives. This is not optional. If you're not killing it, as 1 John says, you're not a Christian. You're playing some kind of religious game. He says, this is not optional. This is mortal combat. Sin dies or we die. Not that we ever become sinless in this life, but we go on killing it every day. We are in the fight to kill sin every day. And then he gives some tips. I'm going to give them to you and I'm done. Consciously reckon that your old self, your pre-Christ self, is dead. Consciously reckon that. Cultivate enmity with sin. Ponder how sin killed Jesus. Hate it. Refuse to be bullied by sin's deceits and manipulations. It's always a lie. Always a lie. 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, declare radical allegiance to God. Do it every day. I declare radical allegiance to God. You know, I've started in, in my Bible, I've been doing a lot of study in the Old Testament, and man, I saw something the other day, and I'm just like owning it, right? I wrote it in the front of my Bible. Don't be faint-hearted. Don't be a faint-hearted Christian, right? Deal with what you need to deal with. Say what you need to say. Be who you need to be. Right? Stay away from those open portals of sin. Stay clear of temptation. Develop mental habits of renewing your mind in God-centeredness, which is the Bible. Admit failure and confess all known sin every day. Ask for the Spirit's help and power. Be an active part of uh, Christian fellowship. Be accountable to others. Fight your sinful impulses with all your might. And then I'm going to add three. Those were all pipers. I'm going to add three. Beat sin today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Beat it today. That's how, it, that's how an alcoholic beats alcoholism. He wins today. If you talk to an alcoholic or a drug addict, they'll, they'll often tell you, I've been, I've been sober four years, you know, 16 weeks and three days and two months or whatever. <laughs> two hours. Um, that's, that's how they talk. That's how they talk. The other thing I would say is expect to win. You know, I talk to a lot of people. It's like, it's like they have no expectation that they can beat it. That I can beat the sin in my life. God means for you to have expectation. You do have the power through the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this and I'm done. Know, know that God's better. If you've been in this church very long, this is something I hammer all the time. God's better than your sin. God is better than your sin habit. So, Psalm 51. I ought to preach it once a year. I uh, apologize. It's been three. And uh, listen, if you have any questions, let me know. But I think it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple. We have a great Savior. And He means for us to come and confess our sin and receive what He has to offer through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, what a great text. Thank you. We are thankful that Psalm 51 is in the Bible because we all need it. We all need Psalm 51. Thank You, Father. Thank You that You teach us how to come to You in worship, owning our sin and expecting that You would cleanse us because You are faithful and good and merciful God. We thank You, Lord. Thank You. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.